Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Energy Health. I'm your high energy host, Dawson Church, and I'm so thrilled that you're giving yourself the gift of tuning in to this show. As you know, each week at this time, we have the best of health and wellness. We have an astonishingly capable and inspiring array of guests, and they share with us practical information you could use and apply to your own health and wellness. I recommend you go and check out the back issues of the show on my website, DawsonGift.com. That's just my name, D-A-W-S-O-N, Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, Gift, G-I-F-T, dot com. And there you will find all kinds of free goodies, like coupons for various programs that our guests have offered in the past. You'll also find the instructions for eco-meditation, which is the super simple meditation technique that uses easy physiological cues to put your body in a deeply relaxed state in just a few seconds. Check out the instructions for eco-meditation at DawsonGift.com. You'll also find a free download of the EFT mini-manual giving you the instructions for tapping and how to regulate your stress using tapping as well as meditation. So go to DawsonGift.com for all of those things. Also, download some of our past shows onto your smartphone. Have those resources available right away. One of the things I do each day, I write in my daily journal a positive thought for the day. What that means is that when I find myself doing some negative thinking, and yes, I do that too, <laughs> we all do that, I just zip back to that positive thought for the day, read that, and replace that negative thought with a positive thought. So I'm not then floundering at the mercy of that negative thinking for more than a few seconds. I right away have a plan, a proactive plan, to replace that negative thought with a specific positive thought for each day. So I recommend you do that. Go and find those positive thoughts, write them down, and have them immediately available to you whenever you find yourself slipping into old ways of being. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Adam Abrams. And Dr. Abrams' new book is called Body Wise. The subtitle is Discovering Your Body's Intelligence for Lifelong Health and Healing. And this book is a treat. It is in-depth. It's authoritative, and it combines the best of conventional medicine with the best of stress reduction and integrative techniques. It's just been released by Rodale Press, and Dr. Abrams is a family practice physician. She's also an integrative health expert, and she's recognized for her work balancing conventional medicine and wellness practices with physical and emotional health. The book is well laid out. It's attractive. It is highly relevant. It's well organized, and I would strongly recommend that you log on to her website, drrachel.com, that's D-O-C-T-O-R, drrachel.com, and check out her book, Body Wise. Rachel, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Dawson. I'm so happy to be here. I am just thrilled by the new generation of physicians like you. I interviewed Dr. Rick Leskowitz on my show a week or two ago, and Rick is a psychiatrist from Harvard, and part of the, the interview was funny, Rachel. He was talking about how medical school almost succeeded in completely stamping out his love for healing. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see it didn't snap out yours. <laughs> no, but, but but close. I mean, when, when we, I talk about medical school and I talk about body intelligence, I always say, you know, the place to lose your body intelligence is medical training because it's all about that. Please don't pee. Don't pee when you need to pee, for goodness sakes. Don't eat when you need to eat and don't sleep when you need to sleep and you'll be a good doctor. It is so ironic because people get into the profession with such high ideals. They want to cure people. They want to help people. They have all these impulses to reduce suffering and then the just the, the way way we go about medical education, the way we go about most education is, is able to really shift that and to find people who come out the other end and haven't, haven't become jaded, haven't lost their, their vitality and their, and their curiosity the way, the way you, you have is just wonderful. So what was, what was your, your path? How did you manage to avoid the fate of uh, so many doctors who succumbed to that, that mind-numbing? Another great, great quote from Larry Doffy who will be on the show in a couple of weeks. Larry Doffy said, being a doctor is not a profession, it's a mindset. And how did you avoid getting sucked into that? That, that deadening mindset that so many doctors, unfortunately, seem to pray to? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, what I would say is I really went into becoming a physician with the intention of being a mind-body-spirit physician. And lucky for me, I mean, I'm turning 50, but I'm standing over the foundation of some doctors like my mentor, Gladys McGarry, who's the oh, mother, mother of holistic yeah. medicine, right, in yeah. the United States, and my good friend, and she's 95, and she's still working, by the way. <laughs> I, I really, because of her and efforts of others like her, I already knew it existed, right? There already was a holistic medical association. Even though I was at highly competitive medical institutions, some of the most competitive in the United States, I went into medical school going, I will not lose my soul in the process. But it took all that I had to keep that intact. And, but, I mean, the, the benefit is I had a family. I had a spiritual life. I had a relatively kept my health. <laughs> relatively would be a good term there, and got through it. And then came out the other side just really wanting to do good medicine and wanting to get at the cause of illness, which is really what every healer wants to do. But so much of medicine these days and the way it's structured, like you can have brilliant physicians, and there are many highly trained, really smart, well-meaning doctors, but you, know, you throw them into a schedule where they get to see patients for 10 minutes, and it makes it very difficult to do any effective medicine. You can put patches on things, but it's hard to get to the heart of the matter. And I, by hook and by crook, and ultimately, you know, and I did a regular practice, family practice, for seven years, and then I couldn't quite do that anymore either because I wanted to have more time with people so that I could do a better job, so that I could be a high-quality physician and not just a highly productive physician. You did that family practice for seven years. Then what catalyzed your shift into the next phase? Well, it's actually related to body intelligence because despite all my intentions between having a baby in medical school and twins at the end of residency and getting married and being a doctor, man, I wasn't always body intelligent in that process. It was hard and I was sleep deprived and exhausted and it was a process for me. Uh, but one of the unfolding stories was that I had headaches. Uh, that I, I never had had headaches in my life, but I started to get headaches and it took me a while and a physical therapy appointment and chiropractic care and um, I finally was seeing an osteopath who was sitting there with her hands around my head going, now tell me this again, you only get headaches on your work days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? Sherlock, I wonder what that clue means. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Right? And, and at the time, of course, I'm so obtuse because I'm thinking, oh, it's in my neck and it's, you know, it's my, it's the coat I'm wearing at work it's, instead of my body going, you need to not do this anymore. This is not your place. And when I finally got it and I was brave enough to make the leap in a 
establish my own practice, which I've now happily been in for about nine years, I got to do integrative medicine for real, meaning that even though I tried to be integrative in my regular practice, it's impossible to do it in tiny, small visits. And so now I spend enough time with people that I really can talk to them about all the things that matter to their health, their work, their relationships, their exposures, their childhood, their mental constructs, what they're thinking. All of those things play a role when we're looking at total health. And unless you can have that big bird's eye view, sometimes it's very hard to get at the nugget of what's bothering people. So struck by the analogy that the authors of the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study used when they wrote about their study. There was a, a giant study done by the Centers for Disease Control and Permanente, and it found a, a link between adverse childhood experiences, emotional dysregulation, and a cancer, diabetes, all kinds of, of diseases. And what they said is that most medical care is like firefighters directing their water at the smoke, while the real cause, the the cause of the fire, the blaze, is is unaddressed but below that. And they, they were saying no matter how good a firefighter you are, if you're directing your, your fire extinguisher at the wrong target, it's not going to work. And you're so right that digging below the surface, finding out the why, and working at that level is, is what's ultimately effective. Right, and ultimately helps people have real freedom. I mean, I work uh, in my clinic side by side with a, a trauma therapist who's brilliant, and she does a lot of somatic work or, you know, work in reference to the body. And we have tremendous success. If I'm, I can't even tell you how many patients I've seen who have chronic illnesses or they have chronic pain in the pelvic region or in the back who've had physical or sexual abuse. And as soon as we have enough time to get to that story and we address that appropriately, and, you know, the, the beautiful thing is I've never had anyone with trauma that could not be alleviated in some way. We've had the, the way that we now treat trauma, the trauma treatment, is far more effective than it used to be, and there's a lot of hope to be had. And I have seen men and women with tremendous trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, really emerge and get that freedom um, that they deserve to have pleasure in their bodies and pleasure in their relationships again. And that's all about being body-wise, right? Finding deep within your body what it is that's speaking to you. I think that the uh, the old phrase from the late 70s, early 80s, mind-body medicine is interesting, but the, the, the way the role the body plays, I think, is still underappreciated. And when a lot of medical treatment is based on trying to find substances that will affect a particular molecule in the body or particular part of the body, and yet the, the, the crucial thing about our emotions is that they regulate all of our bodies and it's some kind of you know, big lead. Just look at a diagram of the autonomic nervous system and you see those nerves radiating out to every single major organ system. When you reduce your emotional uh, degree of triggering, then suddenly you're affecting your digestion, your immunity. All of these systems are being improved by that ability to just regulate your emotions. Our bodies are, are crucial and our, our ability to, to, to de-stress ourselves and to not be placing that kind of load on our bodies is critical to healing. Yeah, ab- absolutely true, Dawson. It, and, you know, I often, like I say, in body-wise, sometimes, uh, you know, when your body is first talking to you, it just knocks. And then if you don't listen, it kind of gives you a shove. And then if you really don't listen, it kind of knocks you upside the head, right? And that's when we see people with significant pathology or illness. And a huge piece of the healing process is listening to the body again, learning how to yeah. listen to your own symptoms as a signal for what the body's trying to tell you about what's really wrong. And absolutely. then, and once we and, learn... And when, when you listen to the small, subtle signal, then the body doesn't have to give you that huge, loud signal. If you enter the, the, the subtle signal and make a habit of listening to those, those small signals, then your body doesn't have to produce some kind of major dramatic flare-up to your attention. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's, you know, really what I'm after with teaching people about body intelligence, which is how do you... And the other thing that I find it useful for is that we think, oh, yeah, yeah, as soon as you learn how to eat healthy, you're all done. Or as soon as I learn the right meditation practice, I'm all 
done and I'm good for life. But life changes all the time for all of us, right? You know, one day is not the same as another and one hormonal cycle is not the same as another. Having deep, you know, body intuition and body intelligence allows you to make decisions for your health and your wellness and even your health practitioners that allows you to feel well in all these varying changing moments in your life. Yes, and again, those signals might change over time. If you have a habit and cultivate the habit of tuning into your body, then as your body has different needs, then you will be attuned to it and you'll be able to pick up what it, what it needs and then make those shifts and adjustments. But one of the interesting things about that in that respect is, is exercise. I know that, some that again, exercise is critical. Most people do some form of exercise, and yet there's an interesting dynamic of exercising and then knowing when your body needs rest. And we're so often so used to overriding our body's signals that you ask people, well, what do you, you know, what, what, what do you feel? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? You need to rest. You need to exercise. What do you need to do right now? And often after they have been overriding those signals for years and years and years, they don't know. Right. They don't know. Right, right. And especially somebody, you know, we talked about trauma earlier, but, you know, whether you've had actual physical trauma, in which case you've turned down the volume of your sensations because trauma is psychically and physically painful, and in order to survive it, we decrease our sensations. That's how we get through it, and it's a smart survival mechanism, but as a lifetime pattern, not so good, not so helpful, right? Or you've been in a culture like men, generally, in, you know, Western cultures, you're taught to not pay any attention to this of your body and push through it and be a man, right? Not particularly helpful. Um, Or you're in a profession like medicine or law or working with the stock market where ignoring your body is a part of supposedly being successful in your job. We've all kind of learned a, a, a general numbness. You know, I often say people are walking around like they've got this body hanging from their neck down there, you know, that they're not paying any attention to. And, and the, the opposite is somebody who's really in touch with their body, in my humble opinion, having worked with a lot of very successful business leaders and politicians and healers, is that someone who's really connected in their body is a far more effective decision maker, a far more effective speaker and leader because they're embodied as they are leading or speaking and they're using that body intelligence to really brilliantly guide their their decision making. Yes, yes, and that body intelligence then transmits itself into other forms of intelligence as well. Yes, exactly, uh, because there is no separation. And, and I feel like we've been talking about this for decades and decades, the, the separation between the mind and the body, but we're talking about it still because our culture still naturally does it, that somehow our emotions are separate from our physiology, that you can have a problem that's just quote-unquote in your head, <laughs> you know? which is a crazy thought because, first of all, everything is in your head and in your body. If, it, if it's an emotion, it has a physiologic correlate. There is nothing about it that's not substantial. And, and secondly, you know, your mind isn't just in your head either. Your mind is actually distributed throughout your body. You know, we need to actually become more whole to be successful because when we're not whole, we tend to be quite out of step with what our bodies are naturally made for. And I talk about this quite a bit in BodyWise, that our bodies physiologically are 10,000 years old. Yeah. But the life we're living is so different today. It doesn't mean we can't thrive, but we have to be more conscious of how we're going to sleep enough and how we're going to sleep when it's dark and be awake when it's light and eat food that our body's made for and you know do work that's satisfying and not overrun ourselves with media and Twitter and constant stimulation because our adrenals are not made for that. How to consciously filter and choose so that we can thrive so that we can find a body, a life that our body loves. So how do you start to introduce this concept to the, the patient who isn't familiar with this idea and is out of touch with their body? Well, I, I talk about four simple steps to body intelligence, and this is what I do in my office with patients. So the first one is gathering data, simple things like
like your blood pressure, your pulse, your lab data, things that I would certainly look at in my office, for example. And then right. the second level is attending to your body's sensations, which, as we said, even that is difficult for some people because they're so shut down, but really developing an ability to feel your hunger. Many people who are overweight are overweight because they never feel satiated because they've lost their hunger response and their feeling of anxiety or their feeling of loneliness or, you know, all these other emotions are tied up with hunger in a way that they can't discern uh, what's going on and so they overeat. So feeling the sensations of the body and I have people do simple exercises in order to do that and to get in touch with their own sensations. And then the third level is feeling. I can have a pit in my stomach because I'm really nervous or anxious or I can have a pit in my stomach because I'm hungry, right? And learning to differentiate between those two is important. And then the fourth level is discernment. Had a patient, uh, I love this example because it's so classic, who came to see me because she was having abdominal pain and she had already seen a physician who ascertained that she had gallbladder disease and she did have gallstones and she may very well have been having pain from gallstones obstructing her her tract into the intestines but she only had pain after she talked to their mother on the phone <laughs> too funny <laughs> right is that not great and, and her mom was physically abusive and was neglectful when she was a young girl so this was a troubled relationship but she felt some obligation to stay in touch with her elderly mother but every time she talked to her she got abdominal pain right she couldn't digest what she was saying she couldn't stomach it right all these metaphors of the digestion we had her not talk to her mom for a couple of months and she had no pain she didn't need her gallbladder out she didn't have any pain anymore and then over time we helped her to draw boundaries and figure out how to be in touch with her mother so that she could feel good about herself but in a way that didn't traumatize her and she hasn't had abdominal pain since then wow that is a powerful story and uh, one of many because as people develop that skill and then to listen to their bodies, become body-wise, and then as they learn the associated skills, in this case, boundary setting, that will help them to navigate those those relationships. She, she obviously can't change the fact that she has the mother she has, but she can learn the skills that allow her not to transpose those emotional deficits into physical issues that she then tries to treat and medicalize when that's not the appropriate path to her healing. Yes, yes, and that's not to say, Dawson, of course, that you know somebody walking into my office with abdominal pain and gallstones who really gets it in in the classic way with fatty foods and has inflammation and elevated liver enzymes isn't going to get their gallbladder out, right? You know, sometimes we do actually need surgery, but it's about taking a more careful inventory because often it's not a pill that's required and it's not surgery that's required. It's a deeper look into what are the root causes and what can we do about that because as soon as we know that, then we have many more options for helping the body heal and return to balance. Yes, yeah, and I like the fact that you don't feel or have an energy of being oppositional to allopathic medicine in your book. And you, you, you say at certain points of the book, you may need medication. You may need conventional care in various ways, and that's part of the ideal treatment package for you. I know I say that because some of the people in alternative medicine can become really adversarial toward allopathic medicine, and there are times when, hey, you know, if you have that massive bacterial infection, if you broke your arm, whatever it might be, you need conventional care. So you emphasize in the book that you need to get the best of both worlds. Yes. I mean, why would all the tools that you could have in front of you for or, you know, healing whatever you have. It just makes you more likely to heal and makes your healer more able to help you. We'll cover more about this in the next segment. I'm your host, Dawson Church. I'm speaking today with Dr. Rachel Abrams. Her book is BodyWise. We'll be right back after a break. Hi, 
Hi, and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I'm so thrilled today to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Abrams. She's the author of the new book, Body Wise, and we've been having this fascinating conversation about tuning into your body, listening to your body's signals, not overriding your body or being out of tune with your body, and certainly when you're in the healing relationship, of using all the facilities possible to support your body rather than just one or two. In the book, you talk, Rachel, about the whole concept of chronic body depletion, and I see that happening. Some has been overriding the body signals, not listening to their body, ignoring those body signals for a long time. What is chronic body depletion, and where do you begin that kind of discussion with a, with a client, a patient, and then bringing them into an awareness of their body and through and reversing that? Thanks so much for asking, Dawson. Chronic body depletion, really, I sat down and thought about what most of my patients come in seeing me for. Now, mind you, I'm an integrative physician. I'm typically seeing people who've already flunked out of Western. They either don't like Western medicine or they've already flunked out of it. Whatever's wrong with them was not well addressed. And, you know, I love Western medicine for certain things, and there are other things it doesn't do such a great job with. And chronic body depletion is a Western concept, but it's really based on this Eastern sense that each of us has, you know, vital chi or vital prana from the Chinese and Ayurvedic traditions, and that when we're living a life where we're not listening to our body's signals, we're not being body intelligent, then we start to have a certain number of symptoms. And something like 85% of my patients walk into their first visit in my office with at least two or three of these symptoms. So fatigue would be the first one, pain of some sort, chronic pain of some sort, headaches, backaches, belly pain, neck pain, low libido, anxiety and or depression, and autoimmune or allergy disease. And honestly, all of those have physiologic connections in the body through our endocrine system, our hormones, through our neurotransmitters. And I think of them really as a set of symptoms that are linked, and I approach them as a whole. I help be body intelligent because often the problem is a behavior and experience, some way that they're eating, the way that they're not sleeping typically or their sleep is disrupted. All of these things matter. And of course, obviously, I do uh, lab tests as well. And in BodyWise, I give very detailed sort of integrative approaches to each of these, both with a workup that might be useful and with practices to think about. But I have tremendous success in helping people be less depleted and therefore less anxious, less depressed, less fatigued and really vital in their lives again. And I feel it's a huge service because people with these kinds of symptoms are really poorly served by a healthcare system that treats people for 10 minutes because it's very hard to figure out what the problem is. And on the other hand, if you do no lab testing, you're going to miss menopause or is it low thyroid or is it adrenal depletion or is it depression, right? We actually have ways to help us navigate that interesting and confusing web so that we can find real relief. And where do you start? Well, I usually start with helping people think about their lives in terms of the fundamentals of their health. And I also talk about this in BodyWise, fundamentals of healthy eating, sleeping, moving, love and relationship, and having a sense of purpose. And, you know, those last two, sometimes doctors don't really talk about, but when you look at the research, if you have people in your life that you love and that love you or a sense of community, you're literally half as likely to have a heart attack as your neighbor who's lonely and more isolated. Having relationships, especially healthy relationships, and having a sense of purpose have an enormous impact on our health and well-being. And I know that, Dawson, you work quite a bit on how the emotions affect our well-being and our vitality, and they do. They affect our cortisol and our cancer risk and our heart disease risk. When we have solid relationships, it moderates the impact of stress 
on our bodies in very important ways. Yes, and you have sections on each of those things in the book, and I love your common sense approach to, the, to this, emphasizing the importance of all of them. And many people have one or two of those areas that they're functioning okay in, and then they have others that they've really neglected for a long time, and they aren't doing very well in, at all. And I, I just like the way you, you emphasize the whole spectrum of approaches so that you support yourself in all those ways with good relationships, with adequate nutrition, with proper sleep, with a sense of purpose. I like the sense of purpose one especially because that then I think will help inform many other things people do. Can you give me an example of somebody you worked with that was able to make a real dramatic breakthrough when they began to find their sense of purpose? Sure. Sure. I have a lovely woman in my practice who is, I think, in her mid to late 60s and an artist, a very creative person, and she was really struggling with depression and she had a pet that she adored, but she was pretty socially isolated. She has kids, but they don't live nearby. And I spent a lot of time working with her. And in the course of our working together, she got pneumonia twice. She had a bunch of aches and pains. Her cholesterol was not great. You know, she had a number of things that were not going well. And we did a bunch of things to help with those specific symptoms. But in particular, I really worked with her at figuring out how she could be of service with all of her intelligence and all of her creativity in her community. And we found a place that she could actually, in addition to her active art practice, because she was actually still making an income doing her art, but a place that she could actually take her skills and volunteer and work with people. And there she met a number of people that she was then friends with, and then she went on walks with them, and then she lost weight, and then her cholesterol improved, and then her immunity improved, and she didn't get sick as often, and all of those things. I mean, it's incredible to me how much the human is designed for compassion, and that when we're kind to other people, it's incredibly good for our hearts. You also are aware of the role of evolutionary biology in the picture and the way that we may have evolved to have this hair trigger stress response, but that's just not serving us at all in a world in which there are no saber-toothed tigers, there are no marauding bands we have to protect ourselves again. So those very survival instincts that kept us safe back then now are, are so counterproductive. We need to have an entirely different approach to life and, and actually counter-condition all those old ways of being. Yes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the more obvious places that this is an issue is around sleep. I don't know about you, Dawson, but, you know, when I talk to people about these five fundamentals. People, you know, certain people struggle with each one of them, but, you know, as a whole, people in the United States, at least, and I imagine this is somewhat the case in Northern Europe as well, are terrible sleepers. They're terrible sleepers. They don't go to sleep on time because they're distracted. They're on the phone or they're watching television or, you know, where they can't fall asleep because of too much light exposure from their computer, from their pad. And by the way, those lights on the phone and the pad and the computer have doubled the suppressive impact of regular light. And then they're distracted by all the media they've been exposed to. And then they have this feeling that working hard is better for productivity. And they have a hard time falling asleep, staying asleep and sleeping enough. And it has a huge impact on their health. Let's talk about those other myths when we come back for a break. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I am speaking today with Dr. Rachel Abrams. Her book is Body Wise. Find out more about her and about the book online. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back 
to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I encourage you to learn more about the show and about the techniques we cover on it by going to my website, DawsonGift.com. That's just my first name, D-A-W-S-O-N, DawsonGift.com. And there you'll find many resources to support your health and well-being. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Abrams. She is the author of the book, Body Wise, and you can find out more about her work at drrachel.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-C-H-E-L, drrachel.com. And I really recommend her book, Body Wise, because it integrates both conventional healthcare approaches with the best of alternative medicine. And she talks about all the array of self-help tools you can use to balance your health, health so you become an active participant in your well-being, not just relying on someone else to make you you happy. I'm curious, Rachel, about the beliefs people bring into the consulting room when they come and see you. What kinds of beliefs get most in the way of their healing? It's a great question because there's a whole, there's a lot, people have a lot of negative self-talk. In fact, our cultures are really known for having negative self-talk. I was recently in Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama and he was referencing during those discussions that when he first began to teach in the West, it was very difficult for him because all of the Tibetan meditations are based on having compassion for others in the way that you have compassion for yourself. Um, and that works really well in Tibet because that's a part of their culture, self-love. And that in the West, he had to actually have psychologists explain to him that people have self-hatred. He just didn't understand it. And self-hatred or even just that deep sense of, I, I don't deserve to be here, is very damaging. And, and typically, those kinds of thoughts are from early in our experience. And I would even say some people show up on the planet with them for whatever reasons. But when you feel like you really don't deserve to be here or to be vital or to be well, it's hard to get better, right? You sort of attract more difficulty to yourself and you create a neurotransmitter, hormonal, immunological environment that is friendly to disease. When I work with patients like this, I had a beautiful young man in my office who comes from a a lovely family, actually, but was deeply depressed and didn't respond to any antidepressants and was smart but couldn't function and really was uh, almost unable to come out of his room. And I worked with him for some time, but an enormous part of my working with him was figuring out how we could get him out into the world where he could do things for other people. started with things like dog walking or simple things where he could be of service. But the, the more that he was able to actually give to others, the better job he did at going, oh, look, I am of use. I actually play a part. I have a purpose. Um, and even when it was small, it made all the difference in the world in terms of turning him in the right direction. And my experience of people is that they get into this negative downward spiral. They feel bad about themselves and then they don't go out and then they eat bad food and then they don't exercise and then they're stressed and then they listen to the news all day. And it's this sort of downward spiral of not great immunological function and inflammation in the body and all these things that make you physically ill. And coming out of it is reversing that. And that starts with making choices to get a little bit outside your comfort zone, but actually do something in the world that helps you find that sense of worth again, that helps you find it for yourself to act it out in the world. And it's amazing how healing it can be. And at the same time, yes, we addressed nutritional things with him and supported him medically, but uh, not with medication. And he did much better. He's been independent, back in school. He actually, when he came in, he couldn't even look at me. He had a hoodie on over his face and he was looking down the whole time. Now he comes in with the hoodie off and he smiles at me. It's like a different young man. And wow. I'm like, 
How would that, have... that that kind of simple prescription would make such a difference and create such a ripple effect? I'm just thinking about the age of science, science, science of acupuncture, which you talk about in the book, and how the acupuncturist tries to find that one place in that meridian, that one point in the meridian, that one acupressure point that is going to be the, the one which, if you stimulate, then unblocks the whole energy flow. And I think of this, that, that kind of piece of advice, as finding that one thing that's just going to make maybe a small thing, like walking the dogs, and yet it's going to make a big difference in the patient's life. That, that's, that's remarkable how just one thing like that can make a difference. And it's not a prescription in the, in the normal sense of the word, but it's a prescription in, in the sense of a, in a lifestyle sense, in a self-healing sense of the word. Yes. And, you know, Dawson, I really believe that most people, if they take the time and follow some of your work or some of what I teach in BodyWise about being body intelligent, in fact, you can find those exercises on my website, drrachel.com, but that if you follow those simple practices, you can figure out what is the key in the lock for you at this moment in your life to turn turn your cycle in the other direction, right? To start to feel a little bit better and then to make better choices for yourself and then to have that vitality um, and that life enjoyment that really all of us deserve. I mean, it's not that bad things don't happen. They do, and they happen to all of us. But it doesn't mean that you have to be in that negative cycle forever. All should, should have this full scale of human experience, including ecstasy and pleasure and happiness and joy. Yes, absolutely. And are there any ever patients who you really want to get better, you hope will get better, you, you're invested in that? and yet they aren't able to do what it takes to make those changes? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And then I resort to medication. <laughs> <laughs> like a regular doctor. So, yes, you know, I've got people addicted to nicotine who really, really can't get off of it. And, and I end up ultimately with them saying, look, I don't care if you stop or not. It's not my business. I'm here to be your consultant, not to tell you what to do. But maybe if that's not an option, let's try something else, right? So sometimes we try to go around through the back door, right? Like, can we get can we get a little more exercise or can we get a little bit of meditation? Can we get something else started that can counteract those behaviors that they just can't, can't help but do, or those changes they just can't help but make. Probably to get somebody doing just one thing differently, that's at least an opening to them doing other things differently too. Yes, absolutely. And the beautiful thing about the body and being a healer is that the body's brilliant. And that if we just do a little bit to push it in the right direction, it's amazing how the body is able to heal itself. I mean, I have found the stressed out uh, folks in middle age in my practice, moms and dads and working people, that if I can just get them to do a small amount of some kind of meditative or prayer or reflective practice. Literally five to ten minutes a day can have dramatic effects on their day and how they feel. It's a little thing, but it shifts their consciousness in a way that allows them to have the life they deserve. I'm amazed how people will say, I don't have the time to meditate, and so they won't take that ten minutes a day that can make that big difference you described, and yet they'll spend they'll spend hours on Facebook or they'll spend hours on TV or yeah. Instagram or one of these other places, and they just really baffles me how people will spend huge amounts of time on these essentially meaningless pursuits, and yet not devote just a few minutes of the day to a practice like meditation that can make a huge difference in their health and, and their mental outlook. Yeah, and you know, what I would say is that you have to really, you know, I've always said, no woman or man decides to lose weight because they hate themselves. It doesn't work. People who are overweight lose weight when they care about themselves enough and they love themselves enough to start to make choices that help them move in the right direction. And I think that it's true about those things as well because the, the internet and TV can all be an addictive pursuit. And so yeah. you have to have enough self-love to make that choice, even if it's a little one. Yes. And that, that the self-love itself is what's so healing. And the little one might lead to more and bigger ones. We'll have more on BodyWise when we get back after a break. You're listening to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. And my guest today is Dr. Rachel Abrams. You can find out more about her work at Dr. 
rachel.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Jolson Church, and for more on meditation, on EFE tapping, on many other health-related tips and resources, go to my website, DawsonGift.com. That's just my name, Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, G-I-F-T, DawsonGift.com. There you'll find meditation instructions. You'll find a whole group of practices that can positively affect your lifestyle. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Abrams. Her book is called BodyWise. Her website is Dr. Rachel. Rachel.com. That's doctor spelled out in full, D-O-C-T-O-R, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L.com. And I'm curious, Rachel, how your patients find you. Like I know sometimes I talk to therapists or physicians and they, their patients have often gone through all kinds of conventional approaches first that haven't worked for them and then they wind up with integrative care after that. Is that true for your patients or are they proactively seeking you out at the start of a problem? Well, I would say I get both. I live in Northern California like you do, so we've got a fairly savvy population. I do see people who just know that integrative medicine is going to be a better fit for them with whatever their issue is, but I certainly get a lot of people who have gone through the Western medicine ringer and didn't get any answers or didn't get healing in the way that they wanted, and they want someone who understands the Western medicine piece but is going to lean into other possibilities and try to minimize intrusive or medication therapy as much as I can. Um, I get both, and I get a lot of people who just hate regular doctors, period, and I'm the first (laughs) doctor they've ever (laughs) Yeah, it was sort of funny, right? It's funny and not funny because we understand why. Um, So, yeah, I get people from all over the place. And one of the things that I have found to be true for most of my people, and really nobody leaves my office without a giant prescription, and not always on a prescription pad sometimes, but at least written out on letterhead, what's our plan? Because in my experience, for people to make changes, they actually need help. And I'm like their health coach, helping them figure out for themselves when they're in the room, what do they really need to feel well? And that includes, yes, of course, the medical workup, but really a lot of experimenting with shifting things in their life. Like the first item on their to-do list might be to look for a new job or, or to go to bed by 10 p.m. That might be the major goal until our next visit. So I'm always helping people brainstorm about what do they think is going to be the thing that's going to be the most important. And nobody leaves without a, a prescription. And in BodyWise, the book, I really tried to repeat that. So at the end of BodyWise is a 28-day plan where I lead people through ways to eat healthy, sleep well, move well, find more love and community and purpose in their lives. But the key element here is that I want everybody doing that through their own body intelligence. If somebody comes to see me because they want me to tell them what to do from what I think, 100%, I'm not the right person for them because I'm really clear that I'm not in their body and neither is anybody else. It's good to consult people who know things to gather information, but you need to be sovereign with your own body. You own your own body and really nobody but you can have a sense of exactly how you can eat. Dawson, you and I could agree on a bunch of things about nutrition, like you should eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and you should try to eat relatively clean food without a lot of chemicals and pesticides and, you know, we could probably agree about 90%. And then there's going to be things that we don't necessarily think the same about because we're different humans, right? Yes. And everybody's body needs something a little bit different. And that's why it's so important to be body intelligent so that you can actually navigate your own well-being. In my 28-day plan, it's based 
on each one of the people doing it using their own body intelligence to choose what aspect makes sense for them. How do they want to go about doing this and, and customizing it for their own needs? And then I do lead people through that online, too. I've got a program starting in May. Um, but it's my way of trying to translate what I do in the office to a broader audience. I'm going to ask questions online and give feedback and uh, interact with me in the process of making that happen. Yeah, one size definitely does not fit all. And <laughs> yeah. whenever you hear any kind of healing methods say, oh, yes, this, this works for everyone, that's actually a sign of usually of a quack of somebody who is science-based and because they're just people that don't respond to even 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 the treatment that everyone else responds to. There'll be a few people that respond to it. There's yeah. no one size fits all. That's kind of especially true with things like exercise and nutrition. Some people need very different ratios of nutrients in their, their diet than others, and others need, some people need very, very different levels of, and then types of exercise, for example. I think the ability to tune in and see what I need and customize your regimen to your own body, your body's intelligence is, is so vital, and tuning in and doing it on a regular basis allows you to then build that kind of customized experience for yourself. Really appreciate that, and I'm so glad you're giving people a concrete plan at the end of BodyWise in that 20, 28 day plan. And how do you encourage people to take that first step? Well, I think that in changing behavior, anything, like oh, let's take someone who's addicted to sugar because that's such a common <laughs> issue, you know, that it's hard to, it's hard for many people to take that first step. And especially with something like sugar, which actually creates a dopamine response in the brain, just like cigarettes or crack cocaine for that matter, that it really is hard to stop. And sometimes we need almost to do a period of time without to get free of the craving. Fast food has the same kind of addictive quality as sugar. So the reason I have a plan for people is so that they can actually say, okay, I can do anything for 28 days. Uh, (laughs) Um, And it's not extreme really in any way. I can do anything for 28 days. And that within that period of time, it's long enough that you can actually feel the benefit in your body. You know, I have patients who do this, like, you know, I have quite a few patients with uh, arthritis or back pain or neck pain or chronic pain of some sort who choose to do an elimination diet, choose to do a diet off of some basic food allergens like just for a period of time like soy, egg, dairy, etc. And within two weeks they can feel whether there's a difference or not. And not everybody has one but when people do it can be marked. It can be a, a, a huge in their quality of life. These are the kind of simple steps that I try to offer in the 28 day plan so people can feel the results and decide if that's what they want. Yes, absolutely. Get them started in the right direction. They'll feel better and that's a positive reinforcement for doing more of that. Rachel, I so appreciated your wisdom, your insights on the show and I also love what you're doing with BuddyWise and how beautifully you present the information in the book. Again, the book is BuddyWise, and for more about Dr. Rachel's work, go to drrachel.com. You've been listening to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. Each week on the show, we give you practical, actionable information for your own health and happiness. Please come back again and visit us. We'd love to hear more from you, and we'd love to share with you in the future. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more of the same. Thank you. Taught by expert faculty, you'll become skilled in techniques validated in over 1,000 scientific studies.